Amen. Thank you, Emily. Well, welcome to Salem Chapel. My name is Johnny Pereira. If you're new with us, uh, let me just introduce myself and have the privilege of being the lead pastor here. If you're watching us online, we're glad that you tuned in as well. Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 10. Uh, that's where we are. If you're brand new, we're in a series walking through the book of John. We started this, it's crazy to believe, I know, in the uh, middle to end of October. And we've been walking through this book chapter by chapter. We have a reading plan that you can access on our website. Uh, if you subscribe to our newsletter, it's the very first thing that we mention uh, that you can uh, find that. If you like something as a hard copy, you can grab that at our Welcome Center as well. And so you would have already read through this passage of Scripture if you are following along in our reading plan. But we've entitled this series, That You May Believe. And where that title has come from is from what John, the disciple of Jesus, the one that wrote this gospel, uh, one of the ones that was the closest with Jesus, part of that inner three that Jesus had of the 12, that he actually lets us know what the purpose of this gospel is in John 20, where he says, I have written these things that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And for us to understand, again, as we look at this passage of Scripture in John 10, that that's what the Lord is inviting you to do today, is to believe who Jesus says he is. If you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ's perfect life, death, and resurrection for your sin, you've been trying to go this life alone, and hopefully the good that you do outweighs the bad that you do, what Jesus wants you to understand today is that there's not enough good to warrant favor from a God who is perfect, but Jesus Christ loved you enough that he came to do what you can't do. That you would believe that he is the Christ, the son of the living God for you. And if you're like me today and you've placed your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, my walk with the Lord is an ever-growing, ever-constant believing that Jesus is who he says he is. Because life is hard, circumstances can be difficult, and oftentimes I can get caught up in doubting that Jesus is who he says he is. And so as we approach this passage of Scripture in John 10, a very familiar passage of Scripture where Jesus calls himself the Good Shepherd. Makes me, ought to make you, if you're familiar, think of Psalm 23, and we'll definitely draw parallels to Psalm 23 today. But what I want to first do is give you a little bit of context to where we are, because oftentimes in the Gospels, it's hard to tell, like, did this happen right after what the previous chapter talked about, or was there some time uh, in between? And there's oftentimes that we don't really know. But Jesus says this I am statement, which there are seven in the book of John, but Jesus says this I am statement, that he's the good shepherd, but he says it on the tail of what we looked at in chapter nine when Jesus heals this blind beggar and the Pharisees ask this blind beggar, who did it, remember? Uh, they ask, how did it happen? They ask all these how questions, but they ever ask who it was. And when the blind man says, no, 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 it's Jesus, he's my savior, I'm going to worship him, they throw him out of the synagogue, the place that he worshiped. So Jesus, in light of that, to the audience that he's speaking to, the crowd that he's speaking to, says this I am statement that he is the good shepherd. Now, why does he use the analogy shepherd? Because during this time, yes, obviously there were physical shepherds who did the job of taking care of sheep, and that was not a job that you would ascribe to. It wasn't like some little kid somewhere was like, uh, what do you want to do when you grow up? None of them are going to say shepherd. But the analogy is also given, though, in the midst of that not being an occupation that was very glamorous, the word shepherd in the Old Testament was often used of kings, of priests, of people who were given the responsibility to oversee God's people. So when Jesus uses the word shepherd, that is what he is referring to, that he is the leader of his people. Now, he'll also use this analogy of the sheepfold, and there's a picture of a sheepfold of what it would look like during this time. Not, not a, you know, fancy thing whatsoever. 
But what this sheepfold would have is it would be made most, most of the time out of stone and there would be an opening to that sheepfold and there would not necessarily be a physical door. What, what, what would oftentimes take place is the shepherd would lie in front of that door or someone who was responsible to the shepherd. But ultimately the responsibility on who went in and who went out of that sheepfold was based on one person, that shepherd. He was the door. So that's the significance. When Jesus uses this analogy, it would have resonated with his audience much more than it probably resonates with you and me unless you are actually someone who keeps sheep. Anybody in here like that? Anybody done that? Um, I know we got at least one fame on our church that used to do that. Um, I don't ever desire doing that. Just be, be real with you. But that's just to help us understand. But he also mentions in this chapter that there were thieves and there were robbers. There were individuals that wanted to steal the sheep, that wanted to use the sheep for their own gain. So when Jesus uses the word thieves and robbers, he's specifically referring to the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious elite of the day that Jesus is so often challenging in the Gospels. If you've read through the Gospel of John, you're like, man, there seems to be this rivalry between the Pharisees and Jesus. Well, the reason why is Jesus is basically chastising them because they have a responsibility to actually teach these things to the people and they have reneged on those responsibilities and selfishly just look for these people to serve them. And really that's been Israel's history up to the time that Jesus is speaking. I mean, you, just, you don't have to read through the Old Testament long to find that you have kings that are for themselves, you have religious leaders that are for themselves, and it's really a sad history of Israel. And Jesus says that, or the Lord says this in Ezekiel 34, just so you can understand the significance contextually to what, the, what would have resonated even with the Pharisees, but also with the crowds. Ezekiel 34, verses two through four, God chastises the religious leaders and the kings that had the responsibility to oversee his nation. And he says, ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you've not strengthened, the sick you've not healed, the injured you've not bound up, the strays you've not brought back, the lost you've not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruined them. Look at what the Lord says in verse 15. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. What hope that the Lord gives to a people who have been spiritually abused for so many years, the people of Israel. But you know what got me thinking? In a crowd this size and the many that are watching online, I am not naive enough to think that there are not people in this room that have been abused spiritually. You've got deep wounds from the church growing up. You have deep wounds from being let down by the church. One thing that I've grown in understanding living in this area is I very rarely run into someone who's never been in church, but I run into a lot of people that used to go to church. And sadly, many of us could even say with those that are closest to us in the church or leaders maybe in our past, and we can say what the Lord says, the weak you've not strengthened, the sick you've not healed, the injured you've not bound up, the stray you've not brought back, the lost you've not sought, with force and harshness, you have ruined them. But I want you to hear today what Jesus says to you, if that's you. That he will be your shepherd. He will make you lie down. He will seek you. He will bring back the strayed. The fact that you're even listening right now is an example of God's grace to that. He will bind up your injuries. He will strengthen if you're weak. 
And whether that's true of spiritual abuse or whether that's true of something else, I just want you to hear that hope today before we get into John chapter 10. And I read Ezekiel because Jesus is speaking to a people who have experienced that. And so now look at John chapter 10 and look at what Jesus says in verses 1 through 6. Now that we have a little bit of context to what a sheepfold was, to the audience of who Jesus was speaking to, the history of the pain that they would have been carrying around. And Jesus says, truly, truly, it's actually where we get the word amen from. Like this is true. I'm affirm- Jesus says, I'm going to affirm what I haven't even said yet so that you can know that you can take it to the bank. He says it twice in this passage. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Like Jesus is clearly gonna tell us how do we know what thieves and robbers are. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. Verse two, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out and when he's brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. Why? For they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. But unfortunately, like many communicators, Jesus being no different, it says this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Kind of helps if you have a job of communicating to know. Even, even some people struggle to understand Jesus. But the reason why Jesus gives this analogy, it's why I had us read Ezekiel 34, is because Jesus is specifically speaking to the nation of Israel. I know that seems like, obviously, he's, he's in Israel, but it's important for us to understand that. He's speaking to Jewish people. And what he is saying is, is I have come as your good shepherd. I've come to fulfill what others could not do, where others have failed miserably. I've come and I actually want to lead you from Judaism, from, from all the demands of the law, and I want you to actually see that those things actually point to me, and I wanna lead you from a place of bondage into a place of fullness and freedom. I'm your good shepherd, I love you, I care for you. And sadly, those who have been given the responsibility but have not done so are thieves and robbers. You can understand why the Pharisees are a little prickly towards Jesus. But then look at verse 11. And we'll deal with this more, but I just want you to see this first phrase. Say verse, the beginning of verse 11 with me, John 10, 11. Say it with me. I am the good shepherd. Jesus drops this bomb. Good way. He says, I am the good shepherd. So if you're taking notes, here's the title of the message. Your good shepherd. Because even though Jesus is speaking specifically to the nation of Israel, who are following Judaism, we'll touch on it, but in verse 16, Jesus also speaks to those of us who aren't Jews, and he says, there are others of this flock that will also, other sheep that will be a part of this flock. So that's you and me this morning. So rather than us just looking and saying, well, he's talking to the nation of Israel, so that doesn't really mean, what's the application to me? No, 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 no. What I want you to understand today is you have a good shepherd and his name is Jesus. See, that's what I want you, this idea is what I want you to get straight from John 10 is this, that Jesus is inviting you to believe that he is your good shepherd. That I'm not calling him that, your father's not calling him that, your mother's not calling him that, your spouse isn't calling him that. But he is saying of himself, I am your good shepherd. And before he ever says it, he says, truly, truly, amen, you can take this to the bank, you can cash the check, this is a reality, and I will not fail living up to it. I am your good shepherd. And I just want you to know out of the gate that you're going to be tested to believe that. Some of you are, are being tested right now. Some of you, if you're being transparent or saying, I'm not sure I believe that, 
You know why? Because in our Christian lives, let's just be transparent. Can I just be super transparent and say, this is, this is true of me as much as it's true of you? We can so often have a head-heart disconnect. What do I mean by that? That there can be times in my life where I'm like, I'm reading this. This may be happening to you today even. That I'm, I'm, I'm reading this, I know this passage of scripture, and I believe it in my head. But I don't feel it in my soul. I'm filled with anxiety, I'm filled with fear. And I, in my mind, think a good Christian shouldn't feel this way. So what does that produce in you? It produces shame. Because God's disappointed with me. God's like, you should have gotten this by now. You've been a believer how long? You have this memorized, and this, you aren't applying this to your heart. And what so often happens, because we sometimes have a heart-head disconnect, is we feel shame, or maybe we feel anger. And we feel apathy because we're like, man, I'm sitting here, I'm listening to this message and all I feel is this more guilt and more anger because some Bible verses are supposed to help me feel better and in some ways I'm receiving it as almost minimizing the complexity of my situation right now. Because I believe that Jesus is my savior but I don't know how that's gonna make me feel any better. And what I want you to understand this morning is your good shepherd's not intimidated by any of that. He's not threatened by it. He's not scared or afraid by that. Because the good news of the gospel is that Jesus loved you in spite of your sin. And the good news of the gospel is when I place my trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior, that that good shepherd wants to take me on a journey to help me see how beautiful that relationship can be, how that relationship can make me whole, even though I may not feel it right now. And that your shepherd is not looking because you're struggling right now and making a conclusion about you. See, I just say that all that out from the gate because I've been doing this long enough and even what I've experienced in my own life and growing in my understanding and application of Jesus being my good shepherd, that he's not intimidated if you aren't there right now. But if I trust him, if I believe in him, if I believe in what God's word can do, if I believe in the Holy Spirit's power to raise Jesus from the dead and that it truly lives in me, I'm telling you, you'll see it. And so what I wanna do this morning is I just wanna give you five reasons on how Jesus, how Jesus is a good shepherd. Because if you're like me, you're just, you're just somewhat cynical by nature, okay? And I'm not saying that so when you talk to me, you think I'm like, you don't really believe that. I'm not saying that at all, right? I'm putting myself out there. But what I love is Jesus is going to, to the audience that he's speaking to, to an audience that has experienced so many people letting them down. Jesus is going to give reasons why or how he is a good shepherd, and those reasons are true for us as well. Now, here's, I'm just gonna let you know. I need your help today, okay? I'm gonna need you to say a phrase when I cue you that's gonna help us answer this question how. So here's the phrase. I'm gonna say it, and then I want us to say it together, all right? Here's the phrase. How good is Jesus? Can you do that? Say that with me. Ready? How good is Jesus? Oh, so much better than the 9 a.m., you got more sleep, I guess. But that's what you're going to say, okay? You're going to say it on cue. But first, let's read verses 7 through 10. Because Jesus is going to now give application to the illustration that he used because they're not getting why he's saying he's the good shepherd. So he's going to unpack that statement just like he will for us today. 
So it says, so Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, amen, take it to the bank. This is a reality. I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. Everyone else failed. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Say the question with me. I'm glad you asked. Number one, he offers you life abundantly. No other shepherd can do that. See, what Jesus calls himself, he says, I am the door of the sheep. He says, this is a true statement, whether you believe it or not, I am the door of the sheep. In other words, you cannot experience the abundant life that I am talking about unless you enter through me. I'm the door to this new sheepfold. I'm the door to this fullness and freedom that I desire you to experience. That you can go in and out and you can find pasture and you'll be saved. I'm the door. Makes me think of what we'll look at in John 14, verse 6, where Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father through me. And what does Jesus say about these thieves and robbers? He says they're a threat to the sheep. To the, sheep. the word thief is actually where we get the word kleptomaniac. And the idea of thief is someone who steals, but he doesn't steal in wide open. He actually does it in a cunning, mischievous, planned way. So that's the idea of thieves. And then you also have robbers. But the difference between a thief and a robber, if you look at these words in the original language in the Greek, robber just has the idea of literally, figuratively, because figuratively, they didn't have guns back then, is literally holding you at gunpoint and saying, I'm going to steal you. There's no mystery about it. There's no cunningness about it. It's just like, we're going to go up and we're going to take the sheep. And it's really true of how the ultimate thief, the devil, works. There's so many things telling us, follow me. So many things. So many people. And that happens one of two ways. It happens in a cunning way, in a deceitful way, in a mischievous way, in a way that we may not even realize it. Right? There's so many things vying for us to follow them can be things that you watch can be things that you scroll through can be things that you subscribe to whatever it may be and the more and more that I allow those things to take up my attention the more opportunity I'm giving to the ultimate thief to convince me that those things are really what is good and what I should follow and the good shepherd is not who he says to be what are those of, for you? I don't know. That's a question you have to ask. And then there's other ways that we can encounter robbers where they operate through simply fear and intimidation. You could be in a culture at work and it's just, it's just so con, 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 counter uh, to you following Jesus to where, man, if I say my faith, I'll get absolutely just made fun of and ostracized or whatever it is and, and you're like, man, like, like it's just fear and intimidation in what I'm felt with that wants to convince me that Jesus is not my good shepherd. But whichever it is for you that is battling for your loyalty, what you need to understand is, is those things will only produce destruction. It says the thief comes steal and to kill and destroy. But here's my question, based on what Jesus says, that I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Well, what does life abundantly mean? Here's the first thing it means. That's the idea of fullness. The word for abundance is actually a mathematical term. It literally means surplus. 
So it has the same idea was used, if you remember back to the feeding of the 5,000 earlier in John that we, that we taught on and that you read, there was 12 baskets left over. There was a surplus. That word is used in the passage of the feeding of the 5,000. But even the English word has significance because the English word is much, much, most of our languages, if not all, are based on Latin, uh, based on the Latin word of the words ab and undare. So literally it has the idea of this, this when waves crash on the shore. How many of you have been to a beach? Raise your hand. God bless you. Um, I miss the beach right now as my feet are freezing cold. But nevertheless, I remember when I would go and we would, you know, as a family, we weren't crazy about going to the beach when it was super hot. Like, that's just not, and I like my car super clean, so like sand in my car, like it just wasn't like something we were vibing with. But what we would do is we would go to watch the sunset when we lived in Naples, Florida. And I remember I would sit on, and we'd get our chairs and I would sit there and I'd just see those waves crash on the shore over and over and over again. And you know what I never thought? I wonder when that's going to stop. I wonder if this is the last wave that's going to crash on the shore. Because this word abundance, even in our English, has the idea of waves crashing on the shore. In other words, it's never going to stop. It's a given that it is going to happen. And Jesus says, whoever comes after me will experience life abundantly, like never ending, like nothing can suppress it or stop it. But abundance doesn't mean necessarily you're going to have a lot of money, you're never going to get sick, you're never going to experience problems. Like, like oftentimes, like we're sold today, like every day's a Friday, like, like it's just going to be absolutely amazing every single day if I follow Jesus. Why is that not true? Because we live in a broken and sinful world. So what does life abundantly mean? Is Jesus, Jesus not delivering on what he's promised if you're struggling today? That's not at all the case. What he's referring to is that we will grow in our contentment and our satisfaction and knowing this, that God's grace is sufficient for every need that I encounter. You say, Johnny, I'm not there yet. That's okay. Because to use our abide definition is you're walking hand in hand with him as he leads the way. He's going to lead you there. See, it's about me growing in my understanding that what Jesus promises is abundant life, contentment. That I grow in understanding that he will meet my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus, Philippians 4.19. It's me growing in that. That the cars and the money and the vacations and the, and the next school play, maybe not a pl school play, but the next whatever, like, like whatever those things are and I'm living for the moment, like not that those things are bad things, but I begin to grow more and more in seeing that those things are good, but they're not what satisfy. Like that's the journey that God has us on, fullness. Psalm 23, verses one through three. We did a series on this like three years ago. And it says, the Lord is my shepherd. Why is he good? Because I shall not want. Why is he good? He makes me lie down in green pastures. What does Jesus say? That those who come after me will find pasture. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Here's something you need to understand about sheep. They will not rest until they're fed. See, what the shepherd has to do is he has to Bring them to a place where they have freedom from fear, freedom from tension, freedom from aggravation, freedom from hunger. And when those necessities are made, the sheep can rest. Every one of the things that a physical sheep needs, you and I need. And Jesus says that he's the one that provides it. But there's also freedom that's involved in abundant life. 
Because in verse 9, he says, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. That word saved literally means delivered, safe, and sound. It was used back during this time to refer to when you were free from a severe illness or you went through a bad storm and survived or you survived a war or you're declared not guilty in a court like you were saved. But it's interesting that when Jesus says he will be saved, it's in a context that means you are saved in your past You are saved in your present, and you will be saved in your future. So if you're struggling today, and you're like, man, I I know God is good. I know he says he's a good shepherd. But how do I know that that's true? How do I know that? Because he says it, that he will give life abundantly. And listen to me, you know you're growing in a relationship with the Lord and a growth process for you is for you to say to yourself, I'm going to say truly, truly in my mind. I'm going to say amen to this even though my circumstances right now are not affirming it before it even becomes a reality circumstantial in my life. I'm going to say amen, amen. Jesus is the door. He is the one who has come to bring me life and he's come to bring it to me abundantly. And as I grow in that, you know what there is? There's freedom. It says, I can go in and I can go out. The idea is not like, well, Jesus, I'll follow you some days and other days I won't. I get to pick and choose. No, no, no. It's the idea of he's created this massive sheepfold. And there's green pastures in this sheepfold. And I can go in and I can enjoy it and I can go over here and I can experience more growth and I can go over here and I can experience something new and fresh every day. You can go in and out and there will always be enough. Why? Because that's the word of abundance. It's, he says, life abundantly. Nothing will suppress it. Nothing will stop it. He's your good shepherd. Look at verses 11 through 13. Let's keep going. You're like, man, we got four to go. Well, listen, I'm purposely spending most time on the first one because at the end of the day, if you don't understand the first one, you're not gonna see the significance of the rest. So I promise you we're moving faster. I did that purposefully. Verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. You ready? It's been a while since you've said it. Remember how good is Jesus? I'll help you. Ready? Let's all say it together. Number two, he laid down his life for you sacrificially. He offers you life abundantly. He offers me life abundantly. I mean, we could stop there to answer our question, how good is Jesus as our shepherd? But the second thing that he emphasizes is he laid down his life for you sacrificially. Listen to me. It's so easy for me to get caught up allowing circumstances and what I want circumstantially to be the ultimate thing that I define on whether or not Jesus is good or not. But Jesus is ultimately not good because you have a good job that you're going to this week. He's not ultimately good because you have a nice house to go to this afternoon and sleep on a couch that you have this afternoon and take a nap. He's not good, ultimately good, because you you and your spouse found out that you're pregnant as awesome as that is and as good as that is. But he's not ultimately good because you found a partner and you're like, man, I'm over the moon about this person. And I'm so excited that, that I finally found my person. Or that you had a great game last night or that you finished out the semester with with straight A's or good grades or that you got a raise this year. And none of those things are bad things, but that is not ultimately why Jesus is our good shepherd. I cannot stress that enough. Because I know many people who love Jesus who lost their spouse who have been diagnosed with cancer, who lost their job, who lost their house, 
And we go on and on and on and on. And if my circumstances ultimately depend on whether or not the Lord is my good shepherd, what happens when circumstances aren't great? Which is why Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. Can you read this with me, the rest of verse 11? Say it with me. The good shepherd does what? He lays down his life for the sheep. The ultimate pinnacle, zenith reason that I can trust that the Lord is my good shepherd today, even if I may not be feeling it, is because he's laid down his life for me and you. It's the only reason. No one can take that away from me. And there are times in our life when that's the only thing that you can hold on to. But it's in those times of life that you know what the Lord is doing? He is growing you. He is leading you as you walk hand in hand with him so that you can grow in understanding what abundant living really means. And we're oftentimes in deceived into thinking, as Jesus says here, that hired hands can be as good of a shepherd as Jesus. Or what are the characteristics of a hired hand in this passage? That they're ultimately not invested in your well-being. Because he says they, they don't own the sheep. They can care more about themselves than you because when a wolf comes, they go running. But the good shepherd lays down his life for you. He lived... He died, he rose again for you. He left heaven's throne room to live without a home for you. He paid the ultimate price. So you know what that means? Jesus is fully invested in you. He laid down his life for you sacrificially. Psalm 23, 4 says this. What's the significance of Psalm 23, 4? I mean, Psalm 23 is more than a coffee cup, something on a coffee cup or on a wall. Here's the significance. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even when circumstances are hard, what does the psalmist David say? I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. He's invested in you. He's paid the ultimate price for you as your sheep. It says his rod and his staff, they comfort me, you. Look at verses 14 through 16. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me, I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. He says it again. And I have other sheep. I love verse 16 because if you're not Jewish, this is you and me. I have other sheep. Like you ought to just write your name above that phrase. That are not of this fold and I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock with one shepherd. Remember what I said, what Jesus is doing? He's saying, hey, I'm creating a whole new way. In fact, the law, the Judaism that you live by, it was to point to this way. And I'm creating a whole new flock so that the gospel and this relationship and me being their good shepherd is available to every man, woman, and child. So there'll be one flock, one shepherd. I'm saying that to give you time to remember what you're about to say. (laughs) You ready? Say it with me. How good is Jesus? Number three, he knows you intimately. Oh, he offers you life abundantly. Oh, he laid down his life for you sacrificially. But man, he knows you intimately. That word know has more than just intellectual awareness. It has the idea of relationship, of knowing you intimately. Your faults, your good points, your weaknesses, He knows you. How many of you have had someone say this about someone that you know, and I'm I'm not going to say it's a spouse or a child or a friend, lest you start looking at the person as I give this illustration. But have you ever had someone say, isn't he or she amazing? 
Like, aren't they amazing? And like, you really know them well, and in your mind, you're like, oh, if you only knew. <laughs> don't look, don't look, look at me. Don't look to the sides. <laughs> We've all had people in our life like that, right? And just to let you know, you've had people say that about you. And I've had people say that about me. I mean, they must be amazing. Uh, <laughs> if you only knew. But here's what's awesome. When Jesus says, I know my own, is that Jesus knows every mistake that I made. He knows every thought that I've thought. He knows every regret that I have. He knows every bit of shame and where I feel like I haven't measured up. He knows what you're feeling guilty over right now. He knows about the sin that you have yet to ask forgiveness for or the sin that you've asked forgiveness for but you're still struggling to believe that he's forgiven it. He knows every single thing about you and he still says, that's my sheep. Just let that sink in. No other person can provide that acceptance. Should we strive for it? Absolutely. But at best, we will struggle. But Jesus says, you want to know why I'm good? You don't want to know why that I can promise what's said in Ezekiel 34, 15, and 16, that I will be the shepherd of my sheep. I will make them lie down. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. Because I know better than you or anyone else where you need healing most. I know you. And I accept you. Not because of you, but because of what I've done for you. That's what Jesus is speaking over you right now. If you placed your trust in him as your savior, he knows you intimately. But why do we spend so much time and energy and crucify ourselves into wanting to seek approval from others more than just reminding ourselves of the ultimate approval we have in the Lord. Because so many times when I run after the approval of others, I have to hide and pretend who I really am. I have to hide my weaknesses. I have to hide my shame. I have to hide my guilt. I have to hide where I believe I don't measure up. So that this person will think better of me. So that they can give me the acceptance that my heart craves. But as we know, if you've ever lived that way, and I've lived that way as well, is it never satisfies. It never leads to abundant living. Why? Because as soon as they affirm me, they at the same time have the power to destroy me. And what Jesus is saying is, don't allow the hired hands, the thieves and the robbers, to be the ones to promise you what only I can deliver. Listen, I've created the sheepfold. You can go in and out. I love you. I'm the door. I know you intimately. Let's keep reading. It says, verse 17 and 18, for this reason the Father loves me. Because I laid out my life that I may take it up again. Do you see? Jesus has said this like three times now. Why? Because if you're like me, and we have this in common, just if you don't think so, let me just burst your bubble. We have this in common. We don't get it oftentimes the first time. So Jesus says it three times. Verse 18, no one, this is such a boss statement in verse 18. I love it. No one takes it from me. Nobody's going to take my life from me. I'm God in the flesh. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. Say it with me. What's the question? This is how good he is. He's conquered death for you victoriously. See, what verse 18 reminds me of is Jesus wasn't tricked. That's not how he ended up on the cross. 
Jesus wasn't outwitted. Jesus wasn't caught by surprise. Was Jesus betrayed? Absolutely. But he knew it was coming. He laid down his life. He said, it's time. He said, I submit to this plan that God ordained all the way back in Genesis chapter three. Like, I'm laying it down. I have the power to wipe out those crowds that are saying crucify me with one word, with one thought. I have the power to wipe out Pontius Pilate who seems to have the authority to put me on the cross But what does Jesus say? That authority you only have because I gave it to you. What is Jesus wanting us to remind ourselves of today? That Jesus went to that cross willingly for you and me. He had the power to do otherwise, but he said to himself, I am going to hold back that power and allow myself to go to the cross so that I can demonstrate my power by raising myself from the dead. And so when I look at what Jesus says in verses 17 and 18 of John chapter 10, and I'm struggling this morning to believe that he's my good shepherd, oh, let me remind myself that what he has done for me is he has conquered death on my behalf, and he didn't do it halfway. He did it victoriously. He won for me. He won for you. So that when I read Psalm 23, 5, there's collateral to back up what it says. Because it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. You don't know what a discipline it is for me not to preach Psalm 23 all over again right now. But once again, such a boss statement. Like Jesus is gonna throw a celebration or party who is the ultimate good shepherd. That he's going to prepare a table to demonstrate how good he is in the midst of the people that are threatening it. And some of us right now are experiencing those threats all over, those doubts, those questions. Jesus, are you really good? Jesus, are you really gonna come through? Jesus, is this too good to be true? Whatever it is. And Jesus is saying, I just want you to sit. I just want you to enjoy me. I just want you to concentrate on who's with you at this table because all those threats that are coming from those enemies, they have absolutely no power to overcome this party that I want you to enjoy with me. Why? Because I've conquered death already for you. And then we're done. Look at verses 28 and 30. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Two of my favorite verses in the Bible right here. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Can you just say, ask this one more time? Just ask it one more time. Come on. Ready? This is how good he is. He watches over you powerfully. He says, this isn't dependent on whether, what, what you feel this morning. It's not dependent on what you did yesterday that you're struggling with. It's not dependent if you're struggling that head-heart disconnect that I mentioned at the beginning of the message you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, do you want to know where you are today, even though you may not feel like it? You want to know where you are? Right in the palm of his hand. And his hand's not open. His hand is closed, protecting you. And he says, no one. So when my God says no one, There's no room for discussion. There's no wiggle room in that. There's no crack in that statement. No one will snatch you out of his hand. And if that wasn't enough, he says, you want to know who, what God the Father is doing? And even though we don't understand how God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, how it all works, 
This analogy is so, rings so true for me that Jesus has me in the palm of my hand. But God's hand, God the Father's hand says, you know what it's doing? It's wrapping around God the, Father, God the Son's hand. And so literally, it's not just that I'm in the hand of my Savior Jesus, but I'm in the hand of God the Father. So not only is it one fist, no, no, it's two fists. No one, no one, say that with me. No one, no circumstance, no person can take you out of that sheepfold that Jesus has created. Friend, listen to me. I know without a shadow of a doubt because I know people because I'm just like you that some of you needed to hear this today. And if you're like, man, I'm seeing this, I'm growing in this, I'm seeing this in a fresh way. Like, Johnny, this has been affirmation for me. Then that's awesome too. But can I encourage you as well? As awesome as you're celebrating, man, I'm growing this in new ways. Can I tell you that there's even greener pastures that your Savior has for you? Because our life is a process of growing and understanding and believing and experiencing that Jesus is our good shepherd. Would you stand with me this morning? As we sing, as we walk out of these doors just in a few minutes after we sing this song, and you face tomorrow, I want to encourage you that you now have a passage of Scripture that you may not have realized before that is a passage of Scripture that you can go to when you're struggling to remind you of who is your shepherd to remind you of who is the one worth following Lord may we do that today may we thank you first of all and start out thanking you for what you have given us as, your, as our good shepherd and God when circumstances want to ask how you can be that God, may we rest in the amen statement of John chapter 10. Grow us in that, Lord. May we believe that in a greater way as we walk hand in hand with you. In Jesus' name, amen.